All right, welcome back. So we can acknowledge that the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what we're to do each day, but God does tell us what our purpose is, why we're here, and that is to be part of His great work of reconciliation. Our part, specifically, is to be making disciples. He does tell us what's important to Him. He tells us what we should value in life. And all of those things are a pretty good place to start when we begin to think about answering the question of what am I supposed to do today? What are my priorities? Now, I have several verses I want to look at, and some of these will kind of, I think, tell you directly, this is what you should be doing. Uh, But others lay that groundwork. They're the principles and the foundation upon which we build a life of real meaning, purpose, and value. Now, when I married Susan 26 years ago, we chose together, together Matthew 6, 33, as our life together verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And that was kind of us together recognizing and letting other people know this is what's important to us. We are going to first pursue God and his righteousness, uh, his rule over our life. We're going to be obedient to him first and let him take care of the details of those other things. And we've tried to consistently live that out. Now, that has led us from we were married in Wisconsin, so it led us from our life in Iowa, Wisconsin, to live in Minnesota and Alabama and to travel across a big chunk of the Midwest and uh, eastern United States and eventually to Japan. And we've spent 20 years of our life in Japan as a direct result of trying to do this, of day in and day out asking that question, what does this look like right now, given who we are, how God's working as we understand it in our life and around us today? Well, we followed step by step. And the way I've typically understood and tried to follow God's leading in my, in my life is seeing that there are doorways that open. Now, we have to discern, is this the time or is this doorway for me? But typically, when God has opened a door, uh, we have committed to walk through it uh, to do our best to see Him glorified and to pursue His righteousness in our life and through our life. And now that has led us back to the United States. We're doing something very different than what we're doing in Japan, but the goal is still the same, to glorify God daily in our actions. Now, part of that, maybe you could see in a, a picture here in Luke 10, 38 to 42. It says, Now as it happened as they went, that he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, it's interesting. I, I To me, as I look at my life and the church in general, just 
the church at large as we travel to uh, different churches in different parts of the world, different parts of the United States, I see these two kinds of people. Martha, it's interesting, is described as distracted with much serving. She was doing a good thing. There were people that needed to eat. They needed to be taken care of. And she was doing that. You have to understand that she had a servant's heart. And I think she had the right desires as she did that. She wanted people to be taken care of, and she understood that was important to Jesus. She had seen him take care of people. But as she was distracted with her serving, she forgot why she was serving and who she was serving. So as she took her eyes off of Jesus and her service to him, she looked at her sister and saw that our lives are different. And she compared and she didn't like what she saw. So she went to Jesus and asked him to make sure that Mary did her part. Now, I, it does seem like a lot of people in our churches are serving and their heart is in the right place, their desire to serve people. But serving can be and often is a distraction. You know, I began my life kind of in in ministry uh, with a pastor who said often, you know, there are three things we pursue that are all good. Uh, and they're, they're levels of uh, value to these things. So they're good, things that are clearly good, and this is what Martha chose, to serve other people. But there are things that are better. And then ultimately there's the thing that is best. And the enemy of the best is actually the good. <laughs> um, we are often satisfied doing good things. You know, I, I go to church and I'm with my church family, that's good. And we're satisfied with that. We may do more than that and be willing to serve as a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or to clean up or uh, to prepare for other things. And that's probably a step better than just being there. But they're all a step or two away from, from the best, which is actually heart, mind, and soul, pursuing Jesus and being that disciple-maker that He called us to be, to be being transformed into that fisher of men. Because there are lots of good things that the church does that are not related to the gospel, that are not related to building up other people. They're good things. They're certainly not bad things. They're, they're good things that we do, but... They are things that often distract us from the best. And if you think about it, as this group was there, there would be a time when the meal and those other things would be the primary concern. Okay, it's time. We need to get ready for this. But there's a time and a place for those things, and they can't take the place of the best. So Mary sat at Jesus' feet and she was focused on him. And to me, it sounds like this would have had to have been a time when he's, he's teaching or he's, uh, there's value to what he's saying there. It's not just 
uh, talking about the weather or the trip, something like that. There's something that Mary's getting there that she needs. And even though service is a need, even though taking care of others is a need, Jesus often did that. There's a time and a place. Uh, Jesus often said, hey, we need to go to another place. Well, there's still hungry people here. I'm called to go to another place, to take the message there. This is why I came. So I think Mary and Martha are good examples of two different kinds of people. And which one are you? I mean, that's part of the question that I often ask myself. Am I actually satisfied sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and absorbing uh, that time with Him? Or do I need to be serving other people to be fulfilled? Because often people like Martha who are serving and busy doing those good things, if you take that away, then they feel like they're losing something. It's part of them. that They were serving. That's their job. Well, I don't want to be that. I want to gladly, joyfully allow other people that opportunity to serve. But I want to do my part when it's my part, and I'm doing it well. But I want to be satisfied with pursuing Jesus with time at his feet. Now, another passage that kind of helps us as we think about what's important in priorities, Matthew 22, 35 to 40, then said his group of people gathered around Jesus again. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Now, one of the criticisms that some people have and why they struggle to read the Bible is they say, well, it's hard to understand. Okay, well, this is the kind of thing that I, I come back to and say, well, the things that God really wants us to get are not hard to understand. This is not complicated to understand. Now, <clears throat> we talk about being difficult to understand and be difficult to live out. Absolutely, this is difficult to live out consistently. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I mean, that's there are too many distractions in the world for us to do that consistently. We have little windows of time where we really pursue Him well, but often we're distracted. But that's the first and greatest commandment, is to pursue God, to love Him with our heart, soul, and mind. And then the second one is, is like it, to love our neighbors yourself. And boy, that's, that's difficult. Our neighbors are, like us, selfish and often unfriendly and in going in their own direction. They are, by definition, hard to love. But... That's what Jesus asked us to do. Now, we can look back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6 particularly. Look at verse 4 to 7 as we think about loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And we question, man, how do you keep that at the forefront of your mind? How do you practice that and live that? Starting verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, if 
loving God and loving your neighbor are part of how we're to live, and we're actually to pursue those things. When you begin to ask the question, how do I do that? How do I keep those things at the front of my my mind and my heart and my soul? How do I do that? Well, I think this is a good place to start. It does tells us tell us that these things need to be in our heart. So it's not something that you occasionally come back to, that you try to um, think about when you have downtime. This is ingrained. It's, it's to be part of who we are. But how do we get it to be that way? And I think that's really the struggle that we have with a lot of the Christian life. We have a natural tendency because of the flesh to pursue other things, things that are not God. <clears throat> but here, that these words are, are to be in our heart. So the way that we teach them to our children and live them out with our children is a lot of how we keep them in our heart. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So that concept, to, to diligently teach them to your children, is to be intentional about talking about these things to your children. I think as a disciple maker, you can carry it beyond your children and say, be diligent in talking about these things and teach them to other people, to the people you're discipling. If you're a mature believer in your church, uh, look for other less mature believers in your church who you can diligently, intentionally talk about these things to. And it says, talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Okay, that pretty much covers where, wherever you are, whenever you are, you are to look for intentional opportunities to talk about these things. In this context, with your children, this is part of how we pass on that heartfelt desire of honoring God. Now, your children are to be your, your first and primary disciples, but as a disciple maker, you have other people who are your spiritual children, who are believers who you are investing in and reaching out to and, and striving to build up. So in the same way that you intentionally talk to your children, you, I think as a disciple maker, you're inviting people into your house. If you look at the New, New Testament church, you know they met house to house. And I think this is part of that. Why did they meet house to house? Well, partly practically, that's what they had. They were very quickly kicked out of the temple and the ability to meet in public. So they met as a persecuted church in houses. This is where they were. And as they met in houses, the mature people talked to the, the younger one. This is what the New Testament tells us, that the older believers, the older men are to teach the, the younger men, the older women are to teach the younger, younger men. Younger women, this is the way that the gospel is worked into our lives through intentionally talking about it with other people. When you sit in your house, but even when you're not in your house, when you walk by the way. So when you're going about your business, when you're at your workplace, when you're, you're doing your things that maybe you have hobbies or you have other activities you have to do in life, in that time as well. You are looking for those opportunities to be intentional about talking about God. He is part of your life. Sitting, standing, laying down, rising up. <clears throat> we work it into our heart by keeping God at the forefront. So practically, uh, some of this is the things we talk about, uh, memorizing Scripture, meditating on Scripture, spending that time thinking about it is certainly the foundation 
because it gives you those things you talk about, but then looking for intentional opportunities to talk about these things to other people. I mean, that's hugely important. Well, let's go on to the next one. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the key here that we're looking at is the transformation that occurs. And it's renewing our mind. Again, our mind, our thoughts have a lot to do with who we are and how we act and all of these living it out. It's not accidental. You know, it's as you look at these passages, uh, we understand and and we want to be careful because it's easy to overemphasize our part. But I I understand it's all God. God is the one that, that changes us. God is the one that does the work. Without the Holy Spirit working in you, you do not change. We totally understand that, and we live on that truth. At the same time, this is one of the paradoxes of the New Testament, if you want to put it that way. It's one of the tensions that we have. It's true. You do not grow and change without God doing the work. It's also equally true that God continually asks us to put in some effort, to do something in line with what we believe. And I think that's that's part of what is uh, spoken to here in Romans where he says, I beseech you, come on guys, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present yourself, who you are, to God. And that's just reasonable. That That's not an unreasonable expectation given who God is and given who you are and given what God has done for you. This is just a normal, it should be simple. It should be easy to, to understand why we would do this. Because God is. Because God's doing something. Uh, because it, it demands it. <laughs> That's our appropriate response to God. And as we do that, and as we meditate on His Word, our minds are renewed and we begin to think the thoughts of God after Him. And He transforms us. Now, as we go on and, and continually think about this, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So as we're looking at how to live out our priorities and and even what those are, and we consider what it means to really love God and to be renewed in our mind, part of it is to understand the clear teachings that God gave us about how we are to live and how we are to think. And here, as as Paul writes, Timothy, Timothy is one of the men that he's investing in and continually trying to help to grow and to be a, a leader in the church. So he says, first, that supplications, prayers, and intercession. So prayer is, is a huge, huge, huge part of our life. I mean, it's interesting here because 
there are all kinds of things that we're challenged to pray for. We're, we're challenged to pray for workers, and that's one of the things that Jesus challenged his disciples to do. Hey, there are not enough harvest workers. Pray for workers. But here, it says pray for uh, all men, and giving thanks be made for all men. I think, man, we read that today and go, man, how do you do that? Because some people, they're not worth giving thanks for. <laughs> but that's what we're told, to pray for and give thanks for all men, for all those in authority. And why are we praying for those people in authority? Well, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and reverence, because the people in authority have the ability to make your life miserable, to, to bring war and not peace. And we see that in the world today. Uh, today, the war is going on in Ukraine. Uh, today, uh, Israel is continually under attack, and the, the problems with uh, terrorism just are unending. Well, we want to pray for, for the people in authority, and that's in authority of people who are on our side who agree with, but also the people in authority on the other side, people that we don't agree with and we think that they're evil. We still want to pray that God would direct them, that God would um, keep them from making worse decisions, and that God would use them as He intends to. Because God is using those. That's part of our theologies. We understand that God is in control and God's doing something, and God's not here necessarily to make your life awesome and great. God is here to glorify Himself and redeem a people for His name. Well, that God who is in control says, pray for all men. And Paul says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. God wants you to do this. When we think about our priorities and what God wants us to do, He wants us to pray for all men. And in that last uh, verse there that I read, verse 4, who desires God, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So as we pray for all men, I think this is a valid prayer for all men that God would direct them and that they would come to a saving knowledge of the truth. That is what God desires for them. Now, as we think about and continue to consider what it means to live out our priorities, understand the needs in the world for uh, disciple makers, for new churches, for people who are ambassadors for Christ, who are carrying out that ministry of reconciliation. And what does that mean in my life? And I'm trying to think of my priorities. And what kind of person am I supposed to be? If you're asking those kind of questions, uh, particularly for men in the church, you should consider uh, Timothy and Titus when they talk about uh, deacons and elders and, and the leaders of the church, what kind of person is that? So 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, we'll look at just this one passage, but it says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, nor violent, nor greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So here, if you want to be a person who is pursuing God, 
remember our first two verses that we smashed together, the sayings of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What kind of person is he looking for? I think this is uh, something to consider. This is the kind of person that God is calling you to be. Blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children submission with all reverence, not a novice or not a new believer, that's being puffed up with pride, he's under the same condemnation as a devil, moreover, must have a good testimony. So as we look at these things, I think it's worth taking those one by one and saying, how am I doing in these areas? Am I living a life that is to the best of my ability? And no, none of us are sin-free. So when it says blameless, we're not talking about sin-free. But we're, our intentions are right. We are consistently trying to do well. And when we sin, what do we do? To be blameless, well, you need to confess and repent. And I think that's true whether it's uh, someone in the church to, or to God or outside the church. We want to be blameless and have a good testimony outside the church. Well, confess your failings to those who are outside the church. Confess when you, when you do them wrong, intentionally or unintentionally. I, I think that does a tremendous um, good for our testimony and the testimony of the church when we're willing to own up to our mistakes. So a lot of these are character and behavior traits, and they go a long way toward uh, helping us with our testimony, with our ability to, to make disciples, because if we're the, this kind of person, we're a person who is pursuing godliness, because a lot of this is, it's about having the right goals for ourselves. We're not allowing something else to control us, whether it's money or uh, wine or drugs, something else that uh, affects our, our intellect, our ability to reason. We're not allowing something else to drive us. We're, we're not out to defend ourselves. So some of the hospitable, not quarrelsome, not covetous, you know, we're, uh, we're good to be around because our goal is to glorify God. Uh, we understand that He's the one that takes care of us, not someone else. So what does it take for you to, to be this person? Well, I think it, it takes some time with God, uh, some time in prayer, uh, some time consistently going through His Word and memorizing Scripture and remembering that God gives me what I need. God is the one who takes care of me. I don't have to take care of myself. I think learning and building and growing in our faith are, are important for becoming this kind of person. And as we become that kind of person, then as we go back and consider what Jesus had to say, Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20, where Jesus said, All authorities have been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So as he gives this great uh, commission for us to make disciples of the nations, we're the right person to do it. So the question asks is, what does that look like in our life? You know, how am I living out these truths today? Um, you know, it's, it's not always easy, but, but those are the questions we're asking. We're thinking about our priorities. How am I living this out today? Well, next week, I'm going to bring in some family for Christmas, but we'll return to our thoughts on building an intentional life of following Jesus for the new weekend, New Year weekend show. So in the meantime, 
keep running. It's difficult, but it's always worth it. Talk to you next time.